I love the joy that we can read God's word with, that we can come and, and we can engage with the holy God with joy, just like Hannah led us there. That as we go through the book of Romans and we've, we, we're going at a, at a slow pace. I think we can all probably agree that it's a slow pace, but it's, it's an intentionally slow pace. It's a pace where we want to, to see what Paul is writing to this church in Rome that has this incredible diversity and it has, um, Jews and Gentiles, people that, that probably should not be gathered together. They're gathering together as a body of Christ. And Paul is writing this letter to them to encourage them of what it is that grounds them together, what it is that, that they take hold of that nothing can be taken, that can't be taken from them. Right? It's, it's this beautiful gospel truth that we see right in the beginning of Romans. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's beautiful. There's power there. There's, there's life change that takes place. When we realize that this power, the gospel that would save, is powerful enough to take us from death to life, we begin to get excited about it. But, but we can just have this overall excitement because we're in a group of people, the same excitement that maybe you have at a football game where all of these people gather together and we all get super pumped because our team is winning or we get really mad because our team is losing, but we're doing it together and everybody's feeding off of one another. That's not what our hope is. It, it is something that plays out as we gather as a body of Christ. But we don't want more than just a feeling. We want more than just an emotion. We want to be grounded in truth. And that is what Paul is doing in this letter to the church in Rome. He's grounding them in a truth that whether they feel it or not, they're going to have this truth. Whether they're experiencing it in the moment, they're going to have this truth that the righteousness of God is the power that would save. And so we've seen that. But as he's building this argument, he has to build a reason why you and I need a righteousness that's not our own. And so he's systematically begun to, to kind of tear down the things that we put our righteousness in other than Christ alone. And so he did that at the end of Romans 1 where he just goes and, and tears down the, the culture that would seek to please themselves rather than honor God. And then as we've seen, as, this, as he shifts in Romans 2, he begins to include the Jews who, who have a different culture. They have a, a religious culture. They have a, a doing all of the right things. And Paul is beginning to say, listen, th those things aren't what save you either. You still sit under the judgment of God, even as you do good things, because you're also a sinner. And so this morning in our passage, we see that same thing. And so the summary of this group of verses, I would say, you can just pull from the very first verse and the last verse. It says, for all who have sinned will be judged on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Let's pray that we would hear that today. Let's pray that, that God would do the work that only he can do, the transforming and conforming work. It's, it's not us. It's not us coming and gathering. It's not even the beauty of a community that would, that all the different things that we put our hope in, it is Christ alone. So let's ask him by his spirit to do that in and to and through us today. Will you pray with me? Lord, God, we come desperate. 
We know that you alone are our hope and our salvation. You alone are the one who can change by your spirit. And so we ask, Spirit, give us ears to hear today. Give us eyes to see who you are, what you've done. God, what you're going to do, Lord, as, as the one who both justifies and judges. May we come with joy because of your work on the cross. But may that work also compel us to go to share, to call others to repentance and belief, just as you've called us to repentance and belief today. Lord, we thank you that we uh, have already just acknowledged that we're doing this together, Lord, but there's so much more. There's a larger church body that we are gathering with today. Some have already gathered across the world. Some will gather in a few hours. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you're doing here in Cape Canaveral, Lord. At Grace Bible Presbyterian Church, Lord, and, and Pastor Stephen Brenniger, Lord, we pray that, that as they gather, they would put their hope and their trust in Christ alone. God, that they too would be transformed and conformed, even as we're asking you to do that in us today. Lord, would you do all of this work for your glory, for your fame, because you're worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 2, 12. For all who have sinned, without the law, will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For all who have sinned. You see, Paul is, is building a, a case that that is a, that is a big group. All who have sinned. It's, it's actually everyone. All of us. We're all sinners. Whether we were under the law or whether we were outside of the law, all of us have sinned. He's continuing this declaration that one day we're going to stand before a holy God and we're going to be judged. And this judgment is in verse 6. It says, the rendering to each one according to his works. And we sat under that last week and it made us all a little bit uncomfortable. Until we got to the end, and we're going to get to the end again today. Like the beauty of, listen, you and I are saved by grace alone through Christ. But to understand that and to really enjoy, to love it, to have it be so captivating that it would change the way that we live, we have to understand that we, we don't deserve it. All of us, for all who have sinned, that's us, and we sit together with every person, with all human beings. It's this standard that, that Paul has put up. He's telling us that God's standard is holy and all of us fall short of it and we're going to be judged by it. We see that in this all-inclusive group, all who have sinned, there's two categories that Paul is, is parsing out here. You have one category that is those who have the law before them. And then the second category is everyone else, those who do not. But all of them fit under this category of those who have sinned. It's often said in shorthand, those who have the law, the Jews, and the Gentile or Greek, those without the law. And so we saw that last week uh, in verses 10, sorry, in verse 9 and in verse 10. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. So everybody's covered in this one 
larger group. Because it wasn't just Jews and Greeks, it was Jews, and then um, in, in their belief of who God was, it was everybody outside of the Jews were considered Greek or Gentile. So he's not talking about two specific ethnic people, he's talking about one specific ethnic people and then everybody else. So it's all-encompassing. But within that, there's two groups of people, the Jew first and also the Greek. So with that... He goes on, and, and, and what I want you to see is that maybe in some of our Bibles, we don't quite see this because of punctuation and different things, but there's an argument that's being made in verse 12 and 16, and then 13, 14, and 15 are like a caveat. They're, they're an explanation of what Paul is saying, that there's two different groups of people, and in those two different groups of people, there's a standard of judgment that's being that they're being held up against, and all of them are falling short. So let's look at this standard of judgment. Verse 13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. You see, the the first verse, 13, talks about those who have the law, those who have heard the law, those who have set under truth. You see, the, the reality is that if you've set under truth, you have no excuse. You, you've heard the goodness and the kindness of God. You've heard of his steadfast love. You've heard that he's called you to be a holy people. And the Jews heard this throughout Scripture in the Old Testament. And you and I have an even fuller testament. We have the Old and the New Testament, and we, we are without excuse because we have the law given to us. We have God's Word given to us. We have the incarnate Word of God, Jesus Himself, that we look to and that, that we're actually, as we look at Him and as we see our Savior, we actually see the standard of which you and I will be judged by. It's a standard not only of outward working and, and good works, but it's a standard of heartfelt obedience to the Father. Sometimes you and I will do some good works. We might even nail it. <laughs> like there's going to be those days where we feel, man, I did what I was supposed to do today. But did I do all of those things out of like this deep heartfelt obedience to God or was some of it just the circumstances of life it was a good day, right? I woke up on the right side of the bed. Uh, some things seemed to work out, or I remembered some truth. And, and, and God was kind. Like, he actually reminded me of what is true and what is good. But very rarely is there a full day that goes by where I don't seek my own comfort. I don't seek my own joy. I don't really strive for that. I'll even war against some people to make that happen. But I've been given the law of God. With that law comes this, this judgment that says, no, you know what's true. And yet you denied it and you walked out of it and you lived for to satisfy yourself with other things rather than resting in me. And so, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. That's those of us that have the law. What about those who don't have the law? And that's a question that all of us ask. Like, how is it fair that God could judge those who don't know him, who, don't, who haven't heard the law, who haven't heard truth. How could, he do, 
How could he do that and still be called good? How could he do that and still be called loving? Well, let's look. Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, so they don't have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. You see, every human has a conscience that some of them are really in tune with that conscience and some of them it's just it's really annoying more than anything some of us try to try to follow our conscience and some of us are just it's a pain forever but the reality is that all of us have some understanding you look outside of even even some of the most advanced civilizations you go to some of these uh countries that have less civilization as we would describe it and you would say but there's still this desire to raise take care of their kids there's still a desire to uh, not steal from their neighbor and so in even in our nature in our in our conscience we're made in the image of god so we know that there's something right and there's something wrong and yet we still do what is wrong paul's actually already already handled some of this if you go back and look with me at romans chapter 1 Start at verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You have two things that God has given to, to all of humanity. Common grace that he's given to all of humanity. It's nature that would display the glory of God. Like there is a creator and he is powerful and majestic and beautiful. And we get to sit here every week and look out and see some of it. And that's, that's so kind of God to remind us again and again, he is awesome in creation. And so we're without excuse, but we also have a conscience that's given to us. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. That's not just a not-under-the-law thing. That's an under-the-law thing. You and I, who know truth, we, we both war to accuse or excuse ourselves. We, we kind of ride this roller coaster of self-accusation and self-excuse. And that's part of the human condition. That's part of what it means to live in a fallen world. If we don't run to Christ, we're going to run to something else, and that will either accuse or excuse us. And so those who don't have the law, that's, that's what they do. While their conscience also bears witness. They have a conscience and nature that would call them to live a life of good works, to do good to others. And yet, those under the law, those outside of the law, all of us fall short of this. Paul's going to build this argument, continuing. And when you get to, to chapter 3, Man, it, it's going to be really evident and it's going to be glorious and beautiful because you're going to say, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what has God done? God, knowing that we fall short, has sent his son to rescue and to save us.
all are judged. No one is exempt. We just saw that at the end of our last passage. For God shows no partiality. The reality of judgment is real for every one of us, whether we, are, whether we had the law, whether we grew up knowing it, or whether this, is the f- this would be the first time you've even heard about it as you stand before a holy God and are judged. God shows no partiality, and he will hold everyone to the standard of holiness and righteousness, which is himself. Well, that's hard. It's tough news. That means all of us have a desperate need. All of us need a righteousness that you and I cannot produce. But we've already been told, Paul leads with this as he, as he says, listen, but the righteousness of God has been manifested in Christ Jesus. It's the power to save. And so we rejoice in that. Even as we look at verse 16, on that day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. We're going through Romans and we're going slow and we're seeing some of the beauty of of the doctrines of the faith. Like these deep truths that we get to wrestle with and sit in are so good. The reality the reality of justification by faith alone. The reality of um that we are being sanctified into the image of Christ. The beauty that that nothing that we can say or do as we get into Romans 8 will ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And then at the end of Romans, we're going to see in the last couple chapters this beautiful church that's being created, this beautiful people that would reflect Jesus to a dying world. And so we have all of these beautiful ideas of community. We get all these great ideas of worship. But listen, you can have all the theology, all the doctrine, all the community, all the, um, the, the one another's that are the, the way that we serve one another. But if you lose Christ in the midst of that, we've gained nothing. And so I want you to see that even as it talks about judgment and standing before Christ, when you are being judged by Christ and we finally say, man, I don't understand how it's all going to work, to be honest. Like the time continuum when we're in heaven, like is it all just going to be in an instant? Or are there going to be certain things? Like we walk into the gate, we see Jesus, we run up, we give him a hug, and then he says, all right, but then we got to go back and do the judgment. Like I don't understand the, the timing of all of that. And I I think that we we only have our understanding of time, a very finite human understanding. I think it's going to be so glorious and beautiful. But here's the reality that I do know, is that if Jesus is the one who is judging the secrets in the hearts of men, then when I see the judge, I also see the one that my heart longs for. I also see the one that I was created to love and enjoy forever. So as it, as it sits here and there's a, there's a holiness and there's a weight to it, there's also a beauty to it, and we don't want to get so caught up in, in these, these deep doctrines of the faith that are so beautiful that we would miss out on. No, when I see Jesus and I'm judged rightfully for my sin, I will also see the lover of my soul, the one who gave everything and went to the cross for me, the one who, said, who gave up heaven, humbled himself, went to the cross, died a brutal death, 
was dead for three days and then rose again victoriously. I'm going to see that Jesus. That's the one that I come before. That's the one that I'm sitting and looking at, even as he says, the the judgment of God is upon you and you fall short for you've sinned. At the same time, he says, while you have sinned, I have purchased you. I've covered your sin. I've cleansed you from all unrighteousness, all of the unrighteousness that you've worked in your works. I've worked righteousness in mine. And at the cross, I atoned for your sin. I purchased you at great price. And so because you are in me, because you have put your hope and your trust and your faith in me, you are mine and I am yours. Even as he declares that in and of myself, I'm unrighteous. And what I get to do is I get to point to the one who is righteous. In that moment, I get to plead, but, but you have saved me. You, the judge, are also the justifier. As we look in Romans 3, 21 through 26, and we're going to get here maybe this year, maybe next year. It's a whole chapter away, so I don't know. But I want to read it, and I want you to see the beauty of it. Romans 3, 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. When you see Jesus, the judge, the one who's coming again, and, and we believe that he's, he's coming again to judge the quick and the dead. You also see not just the judge, but the one who has justified you if you are in him. The one that this is all about. And so I always tend to think in my human frailty, that's going to be a scary moment. It's going to be a scary moment because all of my secrets, it says the secrets of men, like all of my secret sin, all the things that I try to hide from everybody else is going to be exposed to a holy God. But you don't have to be scared because even as it's exposed to that holy judge, Jesus the Christ, it's also covered by that same Judge, it's also been paid for by him. The death that you deserve because of your sin, that would be the judgment that's coming, has been paid for by the one who's sitting on the throne. He's bought and paid for you. He he died so that you might not have to. This is true for those who would by faith take hold of Christ. Those who would say, that is my hope. I have no hope outside of it. I cannot try harder to be better so that when I stand before the judge, I could pile up my good works and say, look, I did some things. I did some good things. I'm not going to trust in any of those. I'm going to trust in the one who said, he has bought me. He has paid the price that I could not pay. 
not only did he die for me, but he rose again. And today, right this moment, you don't have to wait till judgment day. That's the beauty of it. Today, if you are in Christ, you stand in his righteousness. You stand with him. Like you're experiencing relationship with the judge as the justifier, as the one who is cleansing you and transforming you and conforming you into his image. Today, you're doing that if you're in Christ Jesus. And so when you get to that point where you stand before the judgment of God, you're like, that is the one that I know. That's the Jesus that I love. And here we are together in the fullness of his holiness. And in the the depth of my sin, I see the beauty of the cross. We have that diagram, and I wish I'd have brought my marker. The diagram of our understanding of God's holiness When you stand before the righteous judge, that will be the epitome of it. Like you will understand how holy he is. As we grow in our understanding, we also grow in our understanding of our sinfulness. That even some of the good things that we've done, the things that we would heap up as righteousness, he's actually going to say, man, you were doing that for all the wrong reasons. And so we begin to see like, I'm, I'm actually a bigger sinner than I thought I was. And God's actually holier than I thought I was, than I thought He was. So what is it that would, that would span that gap? It's the cross of Jesus Christ, the Savior who I put all my hope and trust in. His love is greater than I even imagined. And I thought it was pretty amazing. And I had no idea. And then we spend eternity worshiping Him, loving Him, showering our praises upon Him. And we don't have to wait. We get to do that today. You see, out of gratitude for the grace that we've received, it goes back to this verse in 13. It says, "For not It is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Out of gratitude for the grace that we've received, we become doers of the law of God. We actually, in this moment, practice the good works that Christ has prepared for us before all of time. We become doers of the law of God with pure motives and wholehearted obedience to the one who has saved us. We get to walk with our Savior, Jesus Christ, as the Spirit is now dwelling inside of us and changing us and reminding us of what's true, that that you and I don't have to earn it today, that you and I have been bought at great price that the blood of Jesus covers that sin. We get to experience a relationship with the Holy One. And if we were to lose that, if we were to get so caught up in coming to church and reading our Bibles and going to community group and even going out and doing some good works and we miss Jesus, we it's all loss. Paul says it later in his letter to the Philippians. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Today, you and I have Christ if we would put our hope and our faith and our trust in him. Not just one time. uh, it, It is enough that it's one time, but it's an ongoing relationship. It's an ongoing. Today, I forgot. God, I I trust you that you are sufficient for me. 
I trust you that you're changing me. Even as I kind of see some of the same things that I keep doing, Lord, I believe that you're changing me and conforming me into your image. And that through my good works, you will actually be glorified. And because I am kind, because it's your kindness in me, that I'm exercising and working out with my neighbor, that neighbor may come to know you, the Savior of their soul. And so it comes with this beautiful declaration, but also a call. You you are right with God. You can't be any more right with God than, than you are today if you are in Christ Jesus. But with that, with that beauty also comes this call to say, hey, go and tell others. Like, go and share this good news of grace that you have, that you've been saved, that you've been brought in, not because of what you've done, but because of who God is. I pray that we would live that way, live in light of that truth, that we would go with joy, that we would have incredible joy, because today, for the sake I suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ Jesus the worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I pray that today we would know who we have in Christ, who we are in Christ, who he's called us to be, that we would walk in those things for his glory. Amen. Lord, we thank you, God, so much for your kindness to us today. We thank you for the truth that um, your grace is sufficient for anyone, and there's there's nothing that can separate us from you and from the opportunity to put our hope and our trust in you, Lord. We thank you for grace that would save us. Lord, we thank you that one day we will stand before the judgment of Christ and we will look in the face of Christ and say, that is my Savior. That is the one that I long for. Thank you that we don't have to wait, Lord, that today, today could be the day of salvation for some of us. Lord, for some of us, we just need to remember the salvation that, that you've purchased for us. And we need to, to live in light of that truth, God, with more joy, with more holiness, with more uh, righteousness and love for you and for others. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us, Lord. But for some of us today, we, we've come in and we did not know that it is by grace that we, we are saved. And we've tried to earn it. Spirit, would you speak truth into our hearts today? I thank you that you're doing all of this for your glory, Lord, because you are worthy. You're worthy of our lives. You're worthy of our song. You're worthy of our worship. Thank you, God, for your kindness to us today, for reminding us again of this truth. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.